When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Son of Slovenia, cool as hell. He scores the ball and he rebounds well. Don't fight the future. Here comes Luca. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The only Mavericks podcast that just thinks players, coaches need to wear suits again. That's the problem. (laughs) That's why the NBA is going to hell. They're just not wearing suits anymore. You saw that, Jake, right? You saw that tweet? Of course. That was one of those type of tweets where, uh, so there's like this... This famous scene from uh, it's famous to me from The Sopranos, where uh, Christopher's called into Tony's office, and Christopher was always up to something, you know. And uh, Christopher always was. walks in, and Tony says, "Sit down." And Chris sits down, and he goes, "Is this about the Easter baskets?" And Tony says, "I don't know what that is." And to tell you the truth, I don't want to know. So that tweet was an Easter baskets moment for me because I saw it and I almost clicked on the profile to see like, who is this? Where did this come from? What is this about? And I just thought, you know what? I don't want to know. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is more or less. It might. I don't know if it's a full parody of uh, a character actor from a different HBO great drama, Frank Sabatka from The Wire season two. <laughs> but he had the Frank Sabatka avatar. The profile was very working class. I'm on the docks and I'm like, I don't know wow. if this is a bit – if this is just you and you're just like, this is my cloak of anonymity, this one great character. I don't know. But uh, there was some element of a, of a bit involved. I'd hope. If it's not a bit, I have many more follow-up questions. Anyway, the, the, the context here is that, that we we had this tweet tweeted at us that, that somebody said everything that is wrong with the NBA right now, which maybe he's right. Is that they're not wearing suits on the sideline. Anyway, uh, typically, I am introducing this podcast after we have a little bit of banter. Uh, I'm Tim Cato. I write and talk about the Mavericks. We've got D Magazine's Mike Pellucci, as always. Not always, but often enough to say as always. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed on podcasts, you can say uh, as always, as long as the person is on like more than half of the episodes. I fit that bill. I think that's fair. So yeah, you're an as always. Um, As sometimes, we have uh, Jake Kemp, also of D Magazine, more more prominently, I would say, of (laughs) 1310 The Ticket. But you've been out here before. We've we've known each other... uh, we go back a, a little ways. How are you, Jake? I'm fantastic, man. Uh, I'm actually glad that there's not a Mavs game to vomit over tonight, to be honest with you, as we record on Monday night. Just watch football and relax. So from a personal perspective, it sounds like you have not lost seven of nine games. You are, your life isn't in a uh, negative net rating? No, I don't think so. No, no. And even, you know, if you pull up their last two weeks, you know, cleaning the glass does this, that, and they've fallen into bottom 20 in both. I feel like I'm middle table on both sides of the floor right now. And that's really all I've ever strived for. 
<laughs> that's that's I think that's what we like to hear. That's, yeah, that's definitely what I'm striving for. Give me give me your like 30 to 45 second overall take on the Dallas Mavericks, a 11 11 team that uh, has had a weird season to date. Uh, I wasn't super excited about the kid hire when it happened. Um, and I, as the season started to approach, kind of sold myself on it a little bit more. I uh, should have listened to my initial thoughts. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they're, they've been banged up. Uh, and the fact that they've been banged up and that we have to keep saying over and over, yeah, well, I mean, they can't, what are they going to do without Maxi? Or, ah, well, you know, I mean, what are they going to do without Luca in a KP game? I mean, we haven't had that yet. We just had no KP in a Luca game. But the point is just that, yes, they've been banged up, which makes it tough to get a read on them. But it also just exposes the crevices in this roster that it's so thin and so house of cards that if they lose one or two guys, all of a sudden it feels like the whole thing can't function. And as bad as Rick was in certain elements, I think he was really good at getting a lot out of role players. And we've seen that essentially fall apart. So uh, I'm not... I'm not super optimistic about about the future for this season. I still think if they get into a playoff series, I give them six games just because they have Luca. But I don't I don't see an easy fix for any of this. It, it's weird because there's a lot of compartmentalization of how we're trying to talk about the Mavericks, where the first level is the very broad picture of the roster uh, building flaws that we've been talking about for years because it's the same trends and this the same ideas and then on a next level there's the immediate uh fixes to the season what jason kidd has tried to do the role players uh you know the new additions and reggie Bullock and sterling brown who haven't performed and and then there's the luca aspect where luca clearly is just not quite as otherworldly as we're used to him being and luca being that good paves over a lot of the sins from the past and it's weird to talk about, you know, it's weird to focus in on a on a micro level without talking about the macro because that's so involved in everything about this team and everything that, you know, they're they're failing to do and struggling at. It, it almost it's almost weird to be like, why aren't they shooting? You know, why aren't they hitting shots? Uh, something I'm going to have a have a full feature, have a full story on uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, so if you're listening Tuesday, it should be on The Athletic. Um, but at, at the same time, I do kind of want to talk about that. And, you know, Mike, we, we've talked about, you know, even last episode, we were like, I, we can't make this this team hit shots. But but I think the more I look at it and the, the, the deeper I dive in the stats, a lot of this is shot quality and shot attempts. And it's, it's yeah. you know, you don't go 22 games into a season and just have a bunch of bad shooting luck. It's not bad shooting luck. You know, there are some players that might turn it around. Um, as the season progresses, I, I think we all kind of tend to think that, but it, it, it runs a lot deeper than that. And in fact, I, I'll kick it to you after this, but you know, I was looking at nylon calculus this is going to be in the store tomorrow and nylon calculus. They do really like deep dive stat stuff, uh, really heavy analytics stuff, a really interesting website. And this article was from a few years ago. And what they tried to do is go step by step, like points per game, three point rate, uh, three-point percentage, opposing three-point percentage, things like that. And when does that normalize in the course of a season? And three-point percentage is about 26 games in. And, you know, that's an average. And every team in every season has their own unique factors and ramifications that would affect that. But the Mavericks are about 26 games into the season. 
And, you know, there, there's, there's no more for me. It's, it's too late or it's, it's too far into the year to just be like, yeah, they're just not really making shots and the basketball gods have been against them and it's going to happen at this point. I, I think this is just the shooting team that they are. Well, I think you, you mentioned the key words here, which is shot quality, right? A lot of this, I think it's two buckets. It's one, even if we think they're better than they are, it's not like this team is loaded with knockdown three point shooters. There are several players who should be better than they are, but this isn't a squad. This isn't the Warriors, for instance. The second bucket is, well, how do you get easier looks and how do you how do you create better opportunities? Well, spacing and spacing in a lot of ways. And what what has this team done? A couple different things. One, the paint is clogged all of the time because there's there's a plethora of two big lineups, which Jake has written about this for us over at D. You've written about a lot of people have talked about. The more two big lineups you have, the less space there is. And that plays a part. And I'm not sure it's the only part in this, but it certainly plays a part in what I think it was sometime last week. Maybe they're still there, but Dallas is what, 30th in either attempts at the rim or shots at the rim or frequency at the rim. They're not getting to the rim. I think part of that is spacing, but part of that is Luka. Uh, It could also be part that other than Luka and to a lesser degree, Jalen Brunson, who do you consistently trust to drive on this roster and create their own shots. I mean, you get some Tim Hardaway looks sometimes, but you've written recently about how Tim needs to be doing that more. So it's just this big scrambled mess of they're not shooting well, uh, but they're not shooting well because they're not creating good looks, but the good looks aren't getting created on the outside because they're not getting created on the inside and they can't get created on the inside because nobody can get to the inside and he can't get to the inside because too little space on the inside. And it's just, it's just a freaking mess. Like if you take a big step back here, how did it get to this point offensively from where they were two years ago that we are sitting here and we are saying all these things about the literally the most efficient offense in NBA history two seasons ago. And now we're at the point where you just wonder what do they do particularly well on a consistent basis? So I don't know how you untangle that mess. I I don't even know where you, where to start. I do think that if you could maybe solve for some of it, there could be a, a trickle down effect that works pretty well. Like if you could solve the two big men issues at the rim, then suddenly you create a lot more space for shooting, for driving opportunities. You still need the personnel to exploit it. But right now, they're not even putting themselves in position to get these better looks that they're not even hitting. So there's a, there, this, and that's comprehensive, right? That's on the roster, but that's also on the coaching staff. But I don't think we can sit here and just say, oh, they're not hitting shots from the outside. Are they a good shooting team or a bad shooting th- team? I think we're at the why are they a good shooting team or why are they a bad shooting team perspective? And there's a lot that goes into that. And that is, again, from where they were two years ago to now, that's a big problem. Jake, I wonder, you know, you mentioned kid and, and optimism and optimism that has been replaced with, you know, at least a very neutral feeling. I, I think I probably kind of feel the same way. And am I right that it's it's not even so much about kid, um, his track record aside, it doesn't feel so much about kid. It's just that when you have a roster that was built to be a Carlisle team and it's not Carlisle anymore, that it's just not going to perform as well under a different coach. Yeah. And I think, and I think the two man lineup thing, it's, it's hard to tell or too big lineup if that's like a straight kid thing, or if that's just an organizational thing of, of trying to protect him. I mean, I hate uh, being posed with questions like that because there's, there's no way to know. Like there's no way when they say like, okay, well, we're doing, we're playing Porzingis as the lone big selectively and judiciously because it's better for his body. I mean, I guess like, but I don't have any idea if that's actually true or not. To me, my thought is guy gets banged up a lot anyway. So I would rather maximize and optimize my lineups because 
you know, obviously there there's impact there, as Mike said, beyond just Luca. I don't. I mean, obviously Luca's body language has not been great, but I I really do wonder if up to this point, right now, you know, a couple dozen games into the season, they were playing him with just KP most of the time. He's on the floor. Like, would we be saying he's out of shape? His numbers might look drastically better, and I think you could possibly say that about the rest of the roster. So some of it is what you said, Tim, that it's a Rick roster and a different coach. But I think some of it is just that it's a clunky roster that made the decision. They wanted to try to be better defensively and protect uh, Porzingis's body by playing him with another big for the bulk of his minutes. And they're paying for it. Now you guys brought up shot quality, shot quality. The second spectrum stat has always been a little bit iffy with this Mavs team because Luca does take a lot of shots that for other players would be considered bad shots. And over the last year and a half, he's hit them at a pretty high rate. But uh, 19-20, they were 14th in quality. Last year, they were 23rd. And this year, they're 28th. Their impact, so how much they're outperforming, 19-20 was 5th. Last year was 8th. This year's 13th. So to an extent, they're getting bit by both things. They're creating the third worst looks in the league. And they're about middle of the pack in uh, in hitting them, you know, as far as over expectation. So, dude, that's not exactly something that portends like a quick turnaround. Like they're not 28th in impact, you know. And if you use like say you want to use a, a more publicly available stat, cleaning the glasses location uh, effective field goal percentage. They're 28th, you know, because they take a lot of threes, but they don't get corner threes and they take a ton of mid-range shots. And. It's almost like that discouraging thing that you see in sports where Porzingis has been really effective posting up. Like his post-up numbers are way better than they were last year. And I think a lot of it is that they're posting him up further away from the basket. But for him being in the 70th percentile in post-ups, it's junking up the rest of their offense in a way that, I mean, I feel like Tim Hardaway Jr. has been affected by this the most. Like his shot quality from last year to this year has fallen tremendously. And I think he's not getting to the rim. He's not getting getting those open driving lanes at all. Exactly. Because they're insistent on, you know, so playing this offense a little bit different. So I know that a lot of their attempt numbers, like if you just look at threes a game and some other attempt numbers that are similar to Carlisle, I don't think anybody watches this and thinks the eye test is, oh, well, it's basically the same offense. And then the payout hasn't really been there necessarily on defense. Now, I will tell you their shot quality allowed is very good. Uh, it's third in the, in the NBA right now. It was fourth last year. Top three last year were buzz, uh, buzz bucks, jazz and Lakers. If you want proof that that stats for real, but even if they get a little bit luckier on defense right now, like how, how much better is their record? Two games? Like maybe like if they were, you know, if they were actually getting average luck on defense for the looks they're yielding, they might be two games better and you wouldn't feel that different. This is why I'm starting to I'm starting to wonder here, you know, with these changes on offense. Like you said, the Porzingis problem is so emblematic of where you're at. Of this is good that Porzingis has looked this way, and the party line a lot of the time. Cuban just said it in L.A. Right? So they're using the regular season to a point to experiment with approaches that theoretically, when you get to the playoffs, you have more options. We saw them play the same way the last two years against L.A. It did not work. There was no Plan B. Maybe there's a Plan B now. At what point there was you, a plan B? How could you say that when Boban Marjanovic is sitting right there? Plan B, literally, the B stands for Boban. To, My goodness, fair, fair. I would never. I, the disrespect sorry, Bobby. Sorry, on this <laughs> podcast. I will not allow that, Mike Pellucci. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Listen, I'm not getting one of those Bobby bags of goldfish after that. Uh, 
But at, you have to start wondering, when is the threshold? It's all well and good to experiment and play around and try different things, but you still got to get to the playoffs. You still got to avoid that play-in game. So at what point do you reach the threshold if you're this coaching staff and saying, okay, we can't do this anymore. If that means Luca four out, do what we do, and let's stack some wins and get some cushion. When do you go back to that? What is the line? Because I think, especially the last week, you have to start asking what this team's margin for error really is because it's not very large. I will say the the plan B half half of the regular season game so far this year has seemed to be Boban. And I mean, what um, Jason is saying that he should be playing twenty to thirty minutes a night that made my eyebrows like shoot through the you know off yeah. of my forehead. That was uh, he hasn't done it yet, well, but that was oh that wasn't a good one. We're gonna we're gonna work our way to kid uh, media comments. Uh, kind of continue the combo we had that on last week's pod. Uh, just another stat that kind of gets at what you were saying, Jake is is there wide open threes, which the the wide open threes that they get, and they get about middle of the league, middle middle of the pack. Uh, my numbers are a few days old, but that's 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 where they were over the weekend. They're hitting those at a top five rate. Like nothing about how much they're hitting wide open threes. You know the threes that don't have a defender within six feet. Um, suggest that they've just had like horrendously statistically aberrationally bad luck. It's the shot quality, you know, like, like you said, they're not getting corner threes and we know that's the, you know, pretty much the most efficient shot in the league. You know, the, the shots are the threes they're not making um, are not the easiest ones. And, and the, the threes that they're converting are not the easiest types. That's just a bad formula. And to the extent that it's the two big lineups and to the extent that it's the roster makeup and the, to the extent that it is Luca, I mean, maybe we disagree a little bit there. I, I, I don't think that he's certainly not the player he was two years ago. I'll, I'll say that, you know, I, I, is he, is he fundamentally different than what we saw last year when he was, you know, still a top five ish player in the league? I, I, I don't know. I, I think that's a, that's a worthwhile question to, you know, to, to kind of debate, but you know, it's all coming together in a, you know, if you really look at the offense and the the team and the way that they are playing on that end, it's just mathematically, it's not set up in a way that would yield dramatically different results than really what is coming together. No, I mean, I, I think they were betting heavily that their best improvement this year would simply be getting Porzingis healthy, largely because they didn't have much of another choice. So they had to sell themselves and us on that. I mean, the offseason was over the day they signed Tim Hardaway Jr., and that's another one where I could have been talked into that either way. Now, the fact that the deal was a little bit lower, like, why did I care about that at all? Like, maybe it slightly helps them to duck the tax and maybe be able to round out their roster, but who cares? Like, if you want Tim Hardaway Jr. at $17 million, you should be okay with it at 19 and a half. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the second they signed that deal, that was pretty much it. And the flip side of that is they could have played with fire a little bit and gambled and maybe came away with nothing. So I don't know. I mean, that they they didn't have a lot of other options there, save for possibly adding a dead eye shooter in the draft a year and a half ago that could have easily helped out with many of these problems because it would filter everybody down or you know funnel. But I mean, surely down. there wasn't such a player available in the draft. Come on, Jake. That's a tough one. Man. Eighteen. You know, it's, that's that's basically fifty six. Eighteen yeah. is the new fifty six. That's what I hear. It's I've always been pretty pretty easy on the Mavs with their drafting because you know any study you look at of draft capital over the last 20 years they're going to be bottom five you know the only team that was consistently outperforming the capital they had was San Antonio so if you're drafting at the end of the draft all the time 
or you are trading away picks to try to preserve uh, your franchise cornerstone's career, I at least can see the logic in that. But this one, there's no defense for this one. None whatsoever. This is probably where I, the the, the longtime captain of the Josh Green bandwagon, take take the very, very large L. Because I was, I was a Josh Green guy, and uh, I liked the idea of it, and I think the pitfall that I fell into was just, uh, I don't know if you trust this team to develop young talent that is that young, that is a Luka, right? Jalen Brunson was a seasoned college player a la Sadiq Bey. Uh, he came from a winning program. You know, he's gotten better and he deserves credit for that. But how much of uh, Jalen knew how to work? It's different than taking an 18 year old kid who, you know, is very raw the way Josh Green is. And yeah, I, I was wrong. Desmond Bain was right. The Mavericks were wrong. I was also wrong. Continue to. So, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. And, and like, I like using this podcast to clarify things I write or tweet sometimes. And I, I like, I did send a tweet. I, I quote tweeted something I wrote on the day of the draft that said something to the effect of the draft's easy this year, just take Desmond Bain. And Desmond Bain was the, in my mind, should have been the player they drafted there. But if you click through on the article itself, like I I put like the next best scenario is that they get Sadiq Bay or Josh Green. Like I also co-signed that. In that sense, like, yeah, you're going to miss on some prospects. It's just in the same way that Desmond Bain is, you know, developed in ways that were not guaranteed. You know, we knew that he was going to be a solid rotation player. We did not know that he was going to be a player able to crack 20 routinely and hit pull-up threes, you know, the kind of those pull-up twos. He had, I think, two of them where he just kind of pulled from 15 feet against the Mavericks uh, over the weekend. Uh, We didn't know that he would be as capable driving against NBA defenses as he has proven to be. Um, None of that stuff is guaranteed. What I want to focus on is the process and where the Mavericks were. And you, you tweeted something to this to this extent, Jake. It, it's not it's not that the Mavericks drafted a player who was worse than another player they could have drafted. It's that they drafted a longer window developmental player that, yeah, you know, in the draft on that day had a higher ceiling than what Desmond Bain projected as, according to almost every single person. You know, it's not like Green was routinely mocked higher than uh, than than Desmond Bain. But what Bain was, was a like, relatively certain thing. You knew he was at least going to be a bench rotation guy. And it turns out that he's more of a starter rotation guy, a fourth or fifth starter for Memphis. You know, maybe in Dallas he would be coming off the bench. But certainly he'd be getting 25-ish minutes a night. Uh, we knew that about Desmond Bain. It felt pretty damn certain that he was going to be that type of player in the NBA. Whereas Josh Green could have been, I guess, better. Maybe if, if things had gone differently, if he had if he had arrived to the NBA and, and certain traits certain traits of his had uh, converted better to the NBA setting uh, in a way that they have clearly have not. But when you look at the Mavericks on that night, where they were as a team, where they were in their building process, team building process trying to build a team that could win now in the playoffs that could be a contending team right now. You know, like on that draft night, we were looking at this team and saying, oh, they actually have the sixth best net rating in the league. Like they might not be as far off as we thought they were. That was the mindset that evening. And they chose to take a guy who was two or three years away at best instead of a guy who would immediately fit into a rotation that needed more depth, that needed a boost. And so when I think about it, it's not it's not that the players above him or, or behind him that were drafted behind him have blossomed like they were. Obviously, superficially, aesthetically, optically, that looks bad. 
but it's also the the entire process that they used for it. And even what we know about, you know, Bob Vulgaris and the way that the whole draft room and the draft night thing went, you know, they weren't scouting Desmond Bain either. Like, like they completely ignored him as a prospect. They weren't going to take him at 31. If you drop to 31, they're still going to take Tyrell Terry. And, and so really the failure is, is not a single player that they picked instead of another single player. It is the entire process, everything that went into that night and everything that they viewed their team to be and the type of player they should be drafting to fit that roster and that team that they had. And while we all, uh, I think we all at least saw the logic between, uh, you know, the logic in trading Seth Curry for Josh Richardson, doing that on the same night. Like getting rid of a historic shooter and then having a chance to draft one of the most prolific college shooters of four years of games on the same night, that makes it way worse. Because to me, you tried to sell, they tried to sell you on Tyrell Terry shooting and whatever, maybe. But if you wanted to trade away Seth Curry, you could have come out of that draft with a major insurance policy and said, okay, maybe Richardson works out and he's a nice wing defender who can shoot. But if he doesn't, we have this other guy on the same night. You know who could be here to knock down shots for us. That part makes it to me. A Desmond l- Bain was not like a Josh with a higher ceiling who with a few more flaws. Desmond Bain was a Tim Hardaway replacement. I wrote that several times leading up to the draft. He was a different archetype of player. He was a shooter. Yeah, he was a proven known commodity shooter who also had some defensive upside. I mean, I think my it's thing with, wild. Here's the thing with Bain. Like, I don't even think for me it's Bain per se. It's the fact because we can. There is every single draft in the world where there will always be one guy in your range that you might not take, and it could have been better, right? Uh, to me, it's the fact that if they had taken Steak Bay, who Bob Vulgaris, you know, I, we, I think we know at this point Steak Bay would have been the pick. Steak Bay hasn't looked great in his second season thus far, but he was a very good role player last year. He was ready in a way that Josh wasn't, and so to me, it's not even the fact that Bain has blossomed because again. We are also comparing a team that has not cultivated young talent well historically versus Memphis, which is doing a damn good job of it. Who's to say Desmond Bain in Dallas would be Desmond Bain in Memphis? What it is to say is that there are two players who made sense for their timeline at the same position, and you had a two and three shot of getting a good rotation player, and you got the third guy, and the third guy didn't make sense on a process level either. That, yep. to me, is the thing. You think Sadiq Bey would have got uh, at least a few minutes against Memphis the other night? <laughs> I think he would have pulled that off, yes. I think, I mean, God, as you know, I mean, was it Dave that was saying this? Like, is it out of the question that if last year's team has Sadiq Bey, that they win that game seven? The margin was that tight. If you had one more wing yeah. who could do something, right? Yeah, no, I, mean, I to- it's yeah. totally, totally. Yeah. Well, that's a... It's a, it's a, it's not a fun conversation to have, but yeah, it's, it's process. It's, it's, it's gotta be process because, because as we've said, like drafting is just too random to be like, if you had just picked the best player in every draft that was drafted after where you drafted, I mean, every team would be amazing. And so it's the process that doesn't make sense. It didn't make a lot of sense that night and it, but it, it certainly makes a lot less now, especially now that we've seen that Josh was more of a developmental prospect than even I think it was kind of led on to be. And and that's a lot of the reasons why, you know, in articles and tweets or whatever that I was, I, I kind of okay. Josh Green is the way that he was presented as being more of a sure thing where I think clearly looking back, he was, he was not, not, not at all compared to, you know, the, the, the two players. Yeah. I mean, my, just to wrap the, put a bow on this. I mean, my thought process as the dude yeah. who is championing Josh Green was, 
okay, you get Josh Richardson. Josh Richardson is here to let you develop Josh Green. And then when Josh Richardson either moves on or ideally hits and Josh Green is ready, Josh Green athletically has a ceiling higher than either of Bain or, or Bay. So the hope is that you then, especially, yeah, he's a smaller guy, but we've seen this team just get destroyed by pick and roll ball handlers. Maybe Josh Green's that guy and you give him time to incubate. The problem is that it failed on literally every possible level, <laughs> not just with those two, but Tyler Bay being out of the league, which is the highest drafted guy in his class to not be on a roster right now, and Tyrell Terry not being part of the equation. It was a comprehensive failure. And when you add that comprehensive failure to this offseason, which is looking like a bit of a disaster already, it, we're not to that point. Maybe we're to that point now. I don't know. But the question that is percolating in my head is, if you overhaul the front office and you overhaul the coaching staff and none of your moves work, like nothing is working that you're doing, even if these are margin moves, but if they're not working, what is it? What is it and how do you fix it? Because they have not made a, we know they haven't taken big swings, but you're not hitting on any of the margin calls lately either. And that was the thing for years that sustained this team that, yeah, they might not always be in the hunt for big fish. They'd usually miss them, but they could capably make those margin calls work and time after time after time, turn other people's scraps or other underutilized investments into at least useful rotation cogs. And it's been a minute since they've done that. So I don't know. I, I really don't know because I think the thought was, okay, well, sure, the old regime wasn't making it work. And we're only 20 games in, but the new regime, what they've done so far, that's not working right now either. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's a lot of I don't know set on this podcast these days, but that is where it's at. Yeah. Let me guys, I'm going to give you one quick one here real quick because I know we don't have like a ton of time left. Do you think like if I asked you right now by the end of the year that you regard Reggie Bullock as having a successful shooting season, do you think there's any chance of that? Yeah. See, I See still so do. do I. I still do. That's I, what I was going to say is that like yeah. right now, dude, he's like league low, like in shot quality impact added. He is... His shot quality right now is so far and away above anything he's had at any point in his career. And so, like, as I'm trying to search for how can this get better as we're doing all doom and gloom, if he's shooting, like, what you expected him to shoot when he got here, just something that small, like a guy who you thought might start and maybe could, think about how much that would change the way you think about this team right now. Like, if just he was hitting at, like, 38 39%, like you thought he might be able to, how different we're feeling about like the starting lineup and everything. So like there are still some chances that guys like that get a little bit more productive and a little bit more efficient because it can't get worse. I mean, I think the counterpoint I'd argue is that he's going to shoot better, but he's not going to shoot 40% because the looks he's getting are not as good as he was getting in New York. And just because team wide systematically, they're getting worse looks overall. They're shooting a lot of threes. Absolutely. But, you know, they're not getting those wide open corner looks. That and, and, but career, and, career low is shocking, though. No, yeah, yeah. and I do agree. He's going to be better. He, I, I don't see any way that he doesn't get better. Honestly, I think Sterling Brown will be shooting much better the year's second half than, than he is now. But, but I, mean, I, just, just, I, I think that's a little bit different than saying they've just got horrid luck and that's all there is to it. Sure, but how damning is it just on a broader level that you're sitting here? The, last year's Knicks were no offensive juggernaut, right? So we're sitting here with, you know, analyzing a team that has Luka Doncic, and you're sitting here saying Reggie Bullock's looks are a lot worse than where they were in New York that had no point guard plan at all other than let's, you know, Derrick Rose is a revelation for him when they got him. But I mean, Derrick Rose is playing 35 minutes a night and running on fumes. And 
there was there was far less talent on that roster create you know creatively there even there's been here when we talk week in week out about how they need more help to supplement Luca. So that situation that Reggie Bullock left somehow it's gotten that much worse here with Luka Doncic. There's something wrong. Yeah. Anyway, hard pivot. Uh, Jason Kidd, media figure. I'm just going to lay out what I saw over the weekend real quick and get you guys' reactions, and, and then we'll we'll get out of here. After talking last week all about this hyper-positivity that Jason clearly chose to start the year and had largely preached and, and acted on throughout every media session that I've heard him talk, you know, maybe outside of that opening media day comment about Luca needing to trust his teammates more. There was hardly anything that he said, almost nothing that came out of his mouth that could be interpreted as uh, negative or criticism. Uh, that, that wasn't anything that was just very broad, generic criticism. And then this weekend he says, he says some stuff about Luca. And I, I think that got most of the attention that, Luca does need to talk to the refs le- uh, less. Uh, that that's not so interesting to me, other than the fact that he actually went and said it, and he was clearly ready to say it and looking to say it. I think that's interesting in the broader hyper hyper positivity context. But you know, we have literally seen Rick Carlisle do this exact same thing. What I found more interesting was was his comment given. Um, it was after Friday's game, after the Friday loss uh, last week. And he said, this is a team that's not built to play defense. And I, I followed up with him the, the following pregame press conference on Saturday. And he didn't, it wasn't quite clear how much he was talking about just the roster construction and how much he was talking about the mentality that they have around the team. But, you know, for him to actually come out and say that, you know, after saying this is a, you know, the, the thing that's going to be different this season is that, you know, we're going to play a little bit of defense. You know, I, th- I think that's, that was close to a media day quote that he had. Um, and now he's saying that, you know, the, the roster is not and, and you know, like we look at it and, and this team has some good defenders there. I, I don't think they're built to be a top 10 defense in the league. So, you know, I'm not out here disagreeing with them by any means, but it's interesting to see the evolution um, just as a media figure that kids kind of gone on. And I, I think when the team's 11 and 11 and, and after two losses like that, that, you know, it, it's not, shocking to me that that you would have to you know that, that you just can't keep up this hyper positivity uh you know uh approach uh fully so that's broad and i'm don't have a specific question to ask about that but i, I just any any thoughts on that I'd, I'd be i'd be curious to hear them yeah i mean to be honest with you like i may be getting a little bit too much influence from the guys i work with that are a little bit older than i am and they've been they were here you know, covering the team and kids first time around, whereas I was, you know, watching kind of. But none of them really bought like what kid was selling at the start of this year. Like, you know, I'm not I'm not in the room and I'm not even I'm not even on Zoom, you know, talking to the guy. And I also definitely believe that people can change, especially at that stage of life that he's at relative to where he maybe was in his first head coaching stop and certainly whenever he was still in the league. But I don't know, man. Like, I don't think he's like, I think he's, he's kind of a, I don't know if it's hot head is the word, but like, I don't think he's the friendliest guy in the world. I'll just put it that way. And like, I think he was. And, and I'll say that on last week's podcast, I, I mentioned this on last week's podcast, but I've, I've talked to people who believe that he is very purposely looking to change his image. You know, he's self-aware. He knows yeah. what it is. And 
a lot of the positivity stems from that. And that's not even a, that's just right. a statement. I'm not even casting judgment on that right now. It's just like, that is, that is where this. Well, it behooves from. him to do so, right? Like, so that makes sense to me, both from a, you know, from a pragmatic standpoint and also like, it's probably better when it comes to coaching. Like you want people to, to feel good at work. So I'm not dogging him for that at all, but I don't, I think you can see like these little moments the one where he shouted out Mavs Twitter a couple times, like, I, I don't know. I think like we're starting to see like you're going to see behind the facade a little bit occasionally, and uh, you know I didn't think it'd be this early. <laughs> uh, I didn't think we- <laughs> he, he talks. I mean, think just think about how many time he times he talks uh, before and after every game, plus probably fifty yeah. practices mixed in there, maybe sixty. Uh, add that up, that's one hundred and sixty. That's like two. 210 appearances that all span five to 10 minutes. That is a lot of time to not at some point let the, you know, if, if it is a facade or if it is a, I mean, he could just be human act. and frustrated, right? I yeah. Mean, it like, just drops the way yeah, they yeah, played yeah, that, the that last drops week. At some point. You know, I mean, right. there, there are people who, whose images have been way less scrutinized who are human and have a moment where they're just like fed up and, I can't blame him with the way his team played last week. I guess like you my know, comparison right. would just be like, I don't feel like Steve Kerr that maybe that's a bad example. Cause he's like a you know, hall of fame coach one day, but I don't ever feel like he's putting up a front, you know? So like whenever he does like have little, you know, moments of frustration, even though, even those feel more authentic. I don't know. I think kids trying to figure out what he is at this point, uh, both from not just the quantitative, but the qualitative standpoint as a head coach. And maybe there's nothing wrong with that. But this team doesn't have a lot of time for that. I mean, to me, it's less, look, there are other statements he could have made to show frustration that I would be a lot more interested in analyzing the media figure. But this one, there's there's a lot of power dynamic things to, to examine here, right? Because here's the thing. He's not wrong about the fact that they're not built to play defense, right? Is talk, our pal is talk Franco ran uh, a great piece today on D. And it's funny because he wrote this last week. I, I, saw, I told him, I said, write something about the defense. What is going on with the defense? And what he wrote is exactly what Jason Kidd said, which is the concepts are actually pretty good. They are trying things that make sense, but they don't have the personnel executed. So Jason's not wrong. The fact that he says this, is this a moment of frustration? Is this a very calculated plea for help to his front office that, look, you got to do something here because I'm doing what I can? And either way, if you are this front office, do you take Jason Kidd at his word and do something radical? Because it would take something radical to this roster to make it more defensive focused. Is Jason Kidd the coach that you, you know, they're, they're publicly are saying, this is our guy, this is who we hitch the wagon to. It's another to back him and make a radical move to reshape your team when everybody knows the doomsday clock hanging over them, which is Luka Doncic's next extension. Are you willing to take a really bold swing with your roster and back Jason's play and say, yeah, Fine, let's go get you a defensive roster because we think you're the guy to do this. Because if you don't buy that and you make that move and it doesn't work, the next coach is there holding the back, right? Or let's just take this a step back further. Yeah, they're not a great defensive team. They're not built to play defense the way they want to play defense. But are they built to play offense in any way that is not the way we've seen Luka with Luka and four shooters? Because it's not like there's – what else have we talked about? It's not like there's a lot of offensive talent here. You know, there's not a lot of guys who create shots or do things with a ball that's different. I think it's just a lack of talent issue. Jason Kidd wants that talent slant to be on the defensive side, but you could also sit there and just flip the narrative on its head and say, yeah, 
they're not built to be a diverse offensive team. They're built to play offense one way. And what did that one way get them? Two straight first round exits. So I'm, while I'm with you that this does further last week's conversation, I really, this is something that's going to have some ripples and I want to see what those ripples are. I think that sums it up well. And, you know, I don't know. I just, I can't get the same conversations we had when kid was hired out of my head, just about, you know, even, even from strictly a basketball standpoint that, you know, where this team is, honestly, it's the same combo we just had about Desmond Bain and, and, uh, and Josh Green and Sadiq Bay, you know, you bring in the people, the coaches, the players, whoever that fit the timeline and fit the team where they're at now. And, you know, if, Jason Kidd is someone who is figuring himself out in any way. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to psychoanalyze to like, you know, we're, we're right up. We're probably right on that line of, of going, you know, psychoanalyzing a person without really knowing him too much or whatever. Um, but, and you can look at the, the offense and the, certainly the defense. I think you can look at the defense and see that they do have a way they want to play. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's it's it just doesn't feel that different. Um, it feels worse. This is what I'd say. You know, it. Yeah, <laughs> it feels worse. It feels worse. Which so. is, I honestly, I did not think there was a scenario where I would feel this bad about a team with Luca on it this early in his career. I I never even really conceived of it. Like I probably should have, but I never even considered. I thought yeah. at worst homeostasis. This it just it feels it feels way right. worse. So, yeah, the floor of a Luca team was yeah. static, and like we had yeah, seen and, what uh, that floor well, was. You learn something uh, every season, I guess. Go get Drogic. <laughs> <laughs> Go get Drogic. That that will fix everything. So that's all they need. Anyway, uh, we're gonna get out of here. Uh, Jake, thank you. For thanks for time. having me, fellas. It's good to have you back, Mike Pellucci. Thanks, thanks for being here as always. Yes, Kent, sir. Kent Garrison, our producer, thanks for being here as always as well. Thank you, and, Tim. Uh, Thank you for hosting back. the show. Absolutely. It's the least I can do. I'm just giving back, you know? So, anyway, we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. See ya. He plays Fortnite just like me. I am 34. Don't fight the future, honey. Don't fight the future. The future is Luca, big dick Donchich from the home of Melania Trump. How many kids you hit? Don't fight the future, Carl Tart. Don't fight the future. It tears me apart. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Oh! Oh! Shut it down! Oh Let's go home! <laughs> it's a wrap, Doug. Yeah, that is a wrap. <laughs> Woo!